This episode is sponsored by Arculus and Bullish. Stay tuned for more information on both of them later in this episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, music, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, with any financial market that's nascent and starts small, eventually you start to get more sophisticated products for investors to focus on. And one of the most important products in any market is futures, which were added by the CME famously in 2017. And those products have evolved over time. Well, today's guest is the director of equity and cryptocurrency products at the CME group. And so she probably has more insight into what's happening in the derivatives and future market than arguably anybody else on the planet. So I'm really excited to talk about that with her, how institutional money moves in the crypto market and what they have coming potentially in the future. Payal, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, absolutely delighted. Thanks for having me. So listen, for people who don't understand, as I touched on, these markets sort of evolve over time and you get more sophisticated products. Why are futures important? Why did you start to offer this product in the first place? Yeah, sure. So um, maybe a good place to start might be CME's kind of history or journey in, into the, the crypto space. So our journey started into uh, crypto back in 2015, 2016, and in 2016, we started, we, we initially launched the Bitcoin reference rate. Um, and that was in direct response to customer needs to start getting into Bitcoin and crypto. And back then, you know, the price on all different, all the different spot exchanges was hugely varied. So you had all these frictions, KYC, AML, the kimchi uh, premium out in um, the Far East. And so there wasn't a, a central price of Bitcoin. There wasn't a, a point that we could, as a financial marketplace, we could point to and say, this is the price of, of Bitcoin. So um, back in 2016, we launched the Bitcoin reference rate. We then launched our standard size Bitcoin futures contract. And that has a five contract multiplier. So five, bit, five times Bitcoin. Um, back in 2017. Um, and then fast forward, you know, we, things got uh, a little bit more quicker in terms of our development. We launched a Ether reference rate and then Ether futures. And 2021 was absolutely phenomenal for us. We launched four crypto products. We launched um, ETH, standard Ether contracts and then um, also the micro size contracts. So really, you know, for, for us, what was important is a mechanism to give our clients access to cash settled derivatives on a regulated exchange. And really that was important for, for three reasons. You know, firstly, there was ease of access. Um, so by trading on the CME, you don't need a wallet, you don't need um, to understand you know, exactly how the crypto spot platforms work. You're not necessarily open to hacking or you don't need insurance. Um, and you're protected a little bit from some of those um, outages or flash crashes or auto liquidations that happen so, so often on the spot exchanges. And so by being a cash settle contract, it just plugs and plays into the same way that every other futures contract does. So really, it's no different to trading the S&P or a gold contract, and it's settled in, in US dollars. 
And by having that um, that financially settled contract, you mentioned earlier, you know, it takes away some of those strains of the network. And therefore, people can, especially institutionals, can take that first step into, into crypto because, as I say, they don't need to handle the underlying. They don't you know, need to know the intricacies of, of the, the network. And so, you know, the, the, the biggest reason is ease of access. The other reason um, that you know, we started with futures um, and a cash settled future was the fact that counterparty risk is, is mitigated. So you know, we, um, as the exchange, we are the buyer to every seller and the seller to every buyer. And so you know, trading on a regulated marketplace where the rules of the road are very clear, they're very transparent, they're tried and tested. So again, you know, for an institutional getting into crypto, it's they know the rules of the road. They've been doing, they've been trading all of these other um, futures products with us for so many years that this is just applying that that same those same rails of the road to crypto and, and kind of making it a little bit easier. And I guess finally, you know, the the key thing for us in terms of launching these um, crypto products is that they were all based on an index. So the same index that I spoke to to earlier that although they're futures contracts that settle on the last Friday of every contract month, they actually settle to that index. So again, it takes away by having an index, you're taking away some of the nuances or the dependency on, on any one index. So you know, we're, we're chuffed with, with how well um, the recent launches have, have gone, um, absolutely delighted with um, the product offering and how you know, we, we were able to expand that. But really, it was in, in direct response to our clients' needs um, to access a regulated market for, for, for cryptocurrencies. And, and what role do futures in general play in price discovery, in making a market more efficient? Just in general, how do futures sort of help improve a market? Yeah. So, you know, as the name suggests, a futures contract is a contract between two counterparties where they agree the price, uh, where they agree to the price uh, now for a future date and time. And so what we're trying to do is, you know, CME has a 180-year-old history, right? We, we started as a butter and eggs exchange way back when. We then, um, we were the first to create corn futures, financial FX futures, uh, equity futures. So we, we were trying to put all the lessons that we learned on all of those products onto you know, this new asset class that is crypto. And you know, some of those benefits start coming through. So you know, having that regulated marketplace for us to be the, the seller to, to every buyer and vice versa, removing that counterparty risk, you know, having the, the checks and balances in place that you don't suffer from auto liquidations if the market moves against you. you know, we have some price halts in place. We have all of these kind of tried and tested approaches that will help the ecosystem and will help um, bring access of crypto, Bitcoin and, and Ether um, to both institutionals and the active trader. So you touched on the fact that when you launched it, uh, I believe it was in December of 2017, Bitcoin was around $20,000 and it was a minimum five contracts. So you had to be trading with $100,000. And as a retail person, you actually would have had to access it, I believe, through a broker, right? You couldn't have done it yourself. So this was primarily, at least initially, I presume, a institutional product for people with access to relatively 
large, uh, you know, large capital. So you eventually, I believe, started to offer other products like the Bitcoin mini futures. Is that why you added micro, excuse me, micro futures? Is that why you added them to give access to people with a bit less capital? A hundred percent. Yeah. So again, it was in direct, uh, direct response to our clients' needs um, and even the institutional needs as well. You know, as you say, the uh, the price of Bitcoin rallied from when we launched the contract um, in in December 2017. It was twenty thousand. It reached a high of sixty five thousand dollars, and that contract just became too large. With a five times multiplier for Bitcoin and a fifty times multiplier for Ether, those contracts be just became a little bit too large, both for the institutional client and for the active trader. So really the idea behind the micro contract, which is sized at a 0.1 multiplier. So a tiny, tiny contract, you, you take ether, right? Trading at what, $2,000, $3,000 today? That's at 0.1 multiplier, we're talking about a $300 contract. So the micros offer three things in, in my opinion. You know, they offer choice. If you can access the larger one and for, for roll costs and, and things like that, if you need access to the bigger one, great. But there's now a choice. You have the, the larger standard contracts, you have the micro contracts, they offer flexibility and they offer precision. And that's what we're finding that with the institutions, they might be coming and trading both the, the standard size and the micro just to get that precision that they need in terms of their hedging. But also it opens up to active traders, to the retail traders through their FCM to, to access a regulated product with all of those benefits that I mentioned. But now, you know, you, you don't only have to go to your spot exchange to trade crypto. You can actually come to the CME for, for Bitcoin and Ether. And often when you go to your spot exchange, as you touched on earlier, it goes offline during times of volatility. It's not there when you need it. You don't even have the ability to buy and sell sometimes when uh, price is moving rapidly. And that obviously never happens on the CME, which is a huge benefit that you touched on. You probably then have a lot of insight as to how the big players are moving their money or who they are because these contracts generally were so large. So who are the primary customers? What kind of customer are you seeing trading these contracts on the CME? Yeah, I mean, on from the institutional side, there has been a real upwelling of interest that's come from banks, from asset managers, um, and, you know, from other firms that you've seen from, from recent announcements, you know, all the corporates that are starting to, to use Bitcoin as part of their corporate strategy. And the, I think the main thing for me, what I've really noticed from 2017 to now is how that conversation has changed. Back in 2017, the conversations were more around what is Bitcoin? What is Ether? What is crypto? Is it right for me? Is it right for my investors? How do I get access? Like, should I be getting access? And that over the pandemic, over 2021 and, and certainly into 22, that has changed 180 degrees. You know, that conversation is now, how do I get access? How can I get crypto into my portfolio? Um, and I think as people have become more comfortable with the returns that, that Bitcoin generates, some of those uncorrelated risks that it adds, the conversation definitely has evolved. We, you know, we're seeing that with the involvement of the introduction of, of new contracts, the ETF in the US that is a futures-based contract. You know, again, access to, to more, to more uh, participants, to more uh, users uh, of, of crypto. So, you know, on one side, that, that conversation has definitely changed. 
Um, on the other side, what we're seeing is the the, pers the, the personas or the personalities, you know, in, in our Bitcoin and Ether market can be, you can draw parallels to the convention, conventional equity market, right? So if we look at the miner, is he akin to the commercial grower, right? Does he need to hedge something? Yeah, you know, are there personalities that have digital spot positions that maybe don't want to liquidate them in the event of a price fall? They, they may be trading futures. Do you have people that want to monetize their portfolio? They may be using futures. Um, you know, it's certainly easier to, to short with futures than trying to, to locate the physical, right? So, you know, just taking that example of, of the miner, for example, right? that we with Bitcoin, we have a, a term structure. So the way that our contracts are, are created is that we have six monthly contracts and then two Decembers. So right now we're trading all the way out to December 2023. Um, and so for a miner, that's incredibly useful, right? He can he can use that term structure to figure out what how much he should be mining now how much they should be investing in capex or buying new servers or things like that and they can lock in some of those those um, informed decisions into their business right now and that's not dissimilar to what we see in energy or gas so um, you know what we're trying what we're seeing is you know a new asset class that's forming a new um, new crypto players that are coming to the market that we didn't necessarily see very you know crypto native then we've got the banks and the institutions that have started to look at um, crypto assets and the, the conversations there have really changed. Um, but the personas are starting to resonate with traditional personas that we see in other markets. So it's a real melting pot. And I think because of that melting pot, we have you know, price discovery, price uh, transparency in our markets. And you know, if the futures are, the 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 center of that price discovery uh for, for for bitcoin and ether right and i want to talk a little bit more about the miners hedging because that's such an interesting topic how would they actually do that what would be the process i mean i think we all understand that miners are generally bullish on bitcoin right they're 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 the ones who are actually mining it they might want to avoid having to sell it like you said there might be factors that have to do with their investment in it but how would they actually use this contract to protect themselves Sure. So uh, they, all of our contracts, um, Bitcoin, Ether, and all of the other asset classes that we offer uh, futures contracts on are all accessed through an FCM or a broker. So the, the, the miner would need to get in touch with the broker. Um, they would be able to um, you know, set, set the miner up. Um, and the way that the future works is that they would be a, a margin requirement. So to, you know, it's not fully funded in the same way that the spot uh, crypto is. So if you're buying Bitcoin on one of the spot exchanges, you would have to put down the, the full value of your trade. With futures, it's slightly different. You, you're just required to put that initial margin down and then pay your, um, your variation margin on a day-to-day -day basis. So the process is um, incredibly simple. You know, it, it's all that burden is almost taken away from the miner and onto the broker or the FCM that manages that relationship. So CME do not have any direct client relationships. Everything is managed through that, that central broker. And that acts in a, in, uh, in a different way that, you know, we, we touched on liquidations earlier. 
in the event of a liquidation, the or in the event of you know a, a big down run in the markets, the it is the responsibility of the the broker or the FCM to reach out and maintain that account. So they they would make some margin calls. And therefore, overnight, you know, you're not being liquidated, right? You can go to on a Friday evening, you can rest easy that your your crypto is right. uh, your Bitcoin or, or Ether is is doing all right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, with the miner, effectively, they're looking to short as a hedge against their long position. Is it a cash and carry trade? Is it just a straight up hedge? Uh, what are they looking to do there, generally? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a number of things, right? It's um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's both of those things that you mentioned. <laughs> okay, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I mean, that the, the cash and carry trade when futures were launched became so popular. Obviously, you know, buy spot, short the future as they come together, it's basically free yield. And I think people maybe don't understand, but that's how a lot of the platforms that are offering yield in crypto have been doing it for years. And that didn't exist before you guys launched your contracts in 2017, really. I mean, it was something that, people couldn't do it. It's very interesting. So you mentioned that you guys have contracts priced out to December of 2023. What are those contracts trading at now? So the, the um, Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin contracts, as, um, as I mentioned, um, actually for all, you know, the, the one key thing that we wanted to do for the crypto suite is to make it as simplistic as possible to understand. So for uh, standard Bitcoin, standard Ether, micro uh, Bitcoin and Ether, all of those contracts have a, a structure where we have six monthly contracts. So you could buy the, the January contract is up for maturity tomorrow. So they, they settle on the last Friday of every contract month, but we have six um, monthly contracts plus the two Decembers. So yeah, right now for the entire suite, you can trade all the way out to, to December 23. And there are some margin offsets. So if you are longer Bitcoin contract and short an Ether contract, you you could be able to to mm. to, to net off the margin. Um, so really encouraging trading in in that entire suite. You obviously talked about the fact that you have Bitcoin and Ethereum contracts. Have you seen interest in any other cryptocurrencies or those things you would consider adding? Yeah. So I mean, there's so much interest from DeFi, from you know, Web Web three. Um, our clients are constantly looking at the space, um, as are we. Um, so right now, we don't have any plans for anything uh, aside Bitcoin and Ether. That's keeping us incredibly busy. Um, but it is something that you know we continue to, to monitor the space and, and we, we look look to. Um, but yeah, no plans to do anything else right now. So you said it's keeping you incredibly busy. How just how big is this market for you? I guess in a vacuum, but also relative to your other markets. Sure. I mean, so for Bitcoin, the, the growth has been phenomenal. When we launched that contract back in 2017, we were doing about a thousand contracts a day. Fast forward to now, we're, we're doing 10,000 contracts a day. In the micro space, we're doing 30,000 contracts, you know, and, and this week alone, in the micro ether contract, we were doing 50,000, 60,000 contracts. So you know, it's it's a sizable um, market that, that we're seeing. And you know, the key, the other key metric that, that we monitor a lot for is large open interest holder, which which is which is interesting, right? From an institutional perspective, a large open interest holder is any holder that holds in excess of 25 contracts. So you know that they're holding a sizable chunk. 
And as we see that report growing, that's a report that comes out from the CFTC, we're, con um, we're continuously seeing that large open interest holder, we're seeing, you know, for Bitcoin um, in excess of, a, of 100 large holders. So that's 100 different firms holding that level of, of, of investment in, in Bitcoin futures contracts. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's growth in, in the Bitcoin market, the Ether market that we've been incredibly surprised and, and happy with, you know, the, the growth in four years. And to see, you know, 30,000 contracts on, on the micro being traded, that's a big number by any account. So, um, yeah, incredibly happy with how it's going. That's a huge number and leads to the obvious next question, which is, have you seen an increase or decrease in one versus the other? Has Ethereum, you know, been catching up to Bitcoin at all? Does that kind of wane and there's different times where one is more in demand? What is that interplay like? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for Ether, there, there's been so much interest, um, you know, in DeFi, Layer 2, Stable coins, you know, most of those are, are based on the Ethereum network. And when you look at that backdrop, um, we've definitely seen a shift from Bitcoin into Ether. Um, I, I guess what I would say is that Bitcoin, you know, being the, the original, it's the one that most of our uh, counterparties, most of our institutions, that it's, it's Bitcoin that they take the first step with and then a shift into Ether and then the interplay between the two. So having that ecosystem with the four different contracts, Bitcoin options also, there is a nice interplay, but certainly a, a lot of interest in Ethereum of late, you know, from, from, from November um, 2021 into 22. Um, and you know, that that is just set to increase. So really excited to see growth there. Guys, I'm so excited to tell you about this new crypto cold storage solution called Arculus. Their cold storage technology keeps your crypto keys off the internet and on an Arculus keycard. With no cables and no USB connections, it insulates you from the thousands of hacking attempts that happen online every single day. You can store, swap, and send your crypto all with a simple tap of your Arculus keycard. And if someone were to get a hold of your card, it doesn't even matter because they have three factor authentication, ensuring that the only person with access to your crypto is you. Guys, you can check out Arculus at thewolfofallstreets.link slash Arculus. That's A-R-C-U-L-U-S. And they're offering $40 off if you use promo code Arculus40. Secure your assets, secure your future with Arculus. Have you ever been trading crypto and during bouts of high volatility had your exchange go completely offline or seen the order books go thin and have absolutely no liquidity for your trade? I know that you have, it's happened to every single crypto trader, but it's not an issue anymore thanks to Bullish. Bullish is a powerful new exchange for digital assets that offers deep liquidity, automated market making, and industry leading security. Combining the innovations of DeFi with the regulated environment of traditional finance, Bullish empowers users to trade with confidence across variable market conditions while securing a regulated environment that's backed by multi-billion dollar liquidity contributions from the Bullish Treasury. Follow at Bullish on Twitter or visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash bullish to learn more. Not investment advice, digital assets and cryptocurrencies are high-risk products. Consult your professional advisor before dealing in them. Bullish's services are available in select locations only and not to U.S. persons. Visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash bullish for important information and risk warnings. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, it feels like over the last year, interest in Ethereum, both from individuals and institutions, has increased. So it's interesting to see that, I guess, in the data as well, especially, as you said, sort of accelerating at the end of last year. You're, I know you're not speaking directly with your clients, but... 
as this volume has sort of increased and the interest has increased, do you have any feel for whether these institutions that are looking for exposure are looking for it as a trade? Are they buying into the digital gold narrative? Are they looking at it as a hedge? What's the narrative that's driving their interest? Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of investment strategies, um, there is there's obviously a difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum, and it's really important to understand the characteristics between those two. And as you say, you know, um, Bitcoin was designed to act as a secure peer-to-peer um, decentralized payment system, security obviously being Bitcoin's first priority, followed by speed. And Ethereum, you know, slightly different, more of a payment system more decentralized, um, it operates smart contracts. So you know, we believe that they can that, that they can coexist. And that's certainly something that we've been hearing for, from, from our clients. What's interesting is the overarching interest in, in blockchain technology, you know, whether that's Bitcoin, Ether, you know, all the other cryptos that, that are out there, the, the, the layer twos. Um, and when we look at some of the stories uh, in the media, you know, about corporations accepting Bitcoin as payment, some of those DeFi projects currently in the works, there is a real need to manage some of those assets and liabilities on the balance sheet. And, you know, we can't ignore the, the growing interest from banks, from asset managers. Um, and you know, that's certainly coming through. So I think, you know, what, what is most um, exciting for me, is that acceleration of how, you know, and, and the curiosity of why now, right? Um, and all of those projects coming online and how we can be there to, to help manage clients' needs uh, for risk management and, and for, for, for price discovery. So, um, you know, in, in terms of the strategy, they're, they're you know, varied and um, it's a real melting pot, but, you know, being there, to, to be able to offer that price tra transparency, I think is, um, is right where we want to be. Yeah, I think that there was a feeling sort of in the run-up over the end of last year that a Bitcoin spot ETF was going to be sort of this holy grail of products for institutional involvement for the sort of the big wall of money, endowments, pensions, people who are looking. We didn't get it, right? We got a Bitcoin futures ETF. What has been sort of... Uh, the relationship between your futures contract and the Bitcoin futures ETF, do you think that people are looking to gain exposure through one or the other, both? Do you think people are using that product? It was very popular initially, but seems to have waned quite a bit since. Yeah, I think it was a cautious first step from the regulator. And, um, you know, in terms of our pipeline and the way that we created that Bitcoin reference rate all the way back in 2016, it was something that was always on our roadmap. Um, and so, you know, creating that index in a way that we could settle futures contracts, it could be used um, to settle futures, um, ETFs, other funds, that was part of the, the reason of creating that, that reference rate. So, as I say, I think it's a cautious first step from the regulator. I think it allows access, again, in a tried and tested way, right? The, um, an asset manager can simply add a Bitcoin ETF onto their um, their list of funds in a very easy way that they can they can focus on what they're good at and their speciality um, and just you know it takes away some of the the complexities right rather than having a a Bitcoin listing which could have its its own complexities this is just adding to that so. I think it's um, you know it's a great first step, 
Um, and obviously there are differences between a futures-based and a spot-based ETF in terms of what you're actually holding in your basket, right? Um, and then there's um, you know, the roll costs um, that one has to, to take into account. There is um, you know, an optimal liquidity window. Um, but I think you know, in, in terms of institutions getting in, into the space, uh, financial advisors being able to offer this out um, you know, and getting comfortable with the idea of an, another way to access crypto, I think it's it's a, it's it's great from um, from what we've seen so far from from the regulators. Right. I mean, when ProShares launched, there was you know multiple billions of dollars in interest in the first weeks, and of course, Valkyrie followed very quickly with their launch. And it was reported actually that there weren't even enough futures contracts for them to purchase to put into the ETF and they had to actually start looking out to future months, which of course then it's much harder to track the rate of the underlying spot price. But are, were those futures contracts being purchased from CME to place into the ETF? Is that how that works? Yeah, so being a, a futures-based uh, ETF, um, the, the fund manager you know, um, will buy CME futures the, the way the ETF is structured is that it doesn't necessarily have to be front month contracts. So one of the things that we did once that ETF you know, got off the ground is that we, um, or in, in anticipation of, was to change our front month position limits. Um, so they were increased from uh, 2,000 to 4,000 back in October. Um, and they, they actually have a step down. So the last three days prior to ex expiration, they stepped back down to 2,000. Uh, and that's really, you know, to manage that role process. So what we're seeing um, is um, ETFs and other funds holding the front, second, third month, and it's creating a nice term structure. It's adding to the liquidity, it's adding to, to the back months um, and, and making a better price point for, for the futures complex. Perfect. And I think I, I agree with you that regulators were trying to sort of throw the industry a bone and test the waters before they went all in, obviously, on a spot ETF, which I still think personally could be very far down the road. I don't think that's something that we're going to see very soon for those who are optimistic about it. I would love to be proven wrong. It's just sort of how I feel. Speaking of the regulators and the SEC who allowed this product, there's been a lot of talk about what is or isn't a security, which cryptocurrencies people will be allowed to trade, how innovators will be able to operate in the United States. If the SEC were to take the hardest line position and deem effectively everything not named Bitcoin a security, maybe Ethereum is safe, how would that affect uh, what you're doing at the CME and what you offer? Yeah, I mean, just just going back to that, that spot um, ETF you know, uh, for, for a second, I think it will, it's it's a test of time, right? It's it yeah. it will come at some point, hopefully. Um, but there are so many challenges to deal with. You know, we talked about flash crashes on, on any one exchange. How would an ETF deal with you know a mark to market when in, in that last minute when they're assessing their portfolio, the results resultant mark to market you know, is is several hundred thousand points lower. Um, so it's things like that that I think, you know, the, the, the regulator took a very cautious step, you know, that removing, having that futures-based uh, contract removes that vulnerability to one price or one exchange. Um, you know, CME, as you mentioned, is less likely to outages. Um, we have the circuit breakers. 
So, you know, it's it's a first step. Um, and I think as uh, regulation evolves, we will see you know, more innovation in, in the space. And you know, from, for, from CME's perspective, I think we think regulation is a feature, not a bug, you know, but that it's, you know, robust, fair regulation um, that doesn't stifle innovation, competition or, or growth. You know, it should be measured. Um, and in, in our experience, there are a lot of market participants, particularly on the institutional side, that are looking for cryptocurrency exposure, but they want that time-tested, regulated uh, financial instruments as their first step to, to gain exposure. So really, you know, as that regulation clears itself or there's, there's more clarity, I think there's a lot more innovation that will come, you know, whether that is... Um, concentric from futures in terms of innovation in other in other products so whether that's more etfs and funds um, and structured products i think that will be um you know, really exciting to see and for us um you know the 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 involvement of of more products you know as as in, you know when that becomes um fair and reasonable for for our clients and um we can create a robust underlying index um, but really, you know, it, it comes down to the regulation. We need to know where to send the paperwork, whether yeah. it's a CFTC regulated or instrument, SEC, whether it's SEC, we need to know where to send that, that regulation. So, um, you know, time will tell. It feels like those answers are coming sooner than later at this point. I mean, even Biden is issuing an executive order, presumably next month to start to straighten out which regulators are going to handle what, but that's got to be a, like like watching the Super Bowl for you guys, trying to figure out what's going to happen when you're trying to re- operate in this environment. I mean, everyone knows that markets hate uncertainty, sort of the old meme, but I think that people just want clarity, right? I'm assuming institutions just want clarity. Even if it's kind of what they would view as negative, they would probably just like to know what they can do as opposed to be operating completely in the gray. In my opinion, that's probably been a huge barrier to a lot of the money, like you said, that wants to get in being unable to. Right, right. And I think, you know, looking forward in into 2022, I think it's one of the, the key things that remain in focus, right? Regulation. Um, it's what the Fed and what's happening with you know, the inflation and the dollar, um, government spending, you know, all of those things coming together and, and shaping uh, institutions' views of how much they invest into crypto into 2022. And I think, you know, regulation is certainly a part of that. Being that the CME is so trusted and well-regulated, well-operated, would launching a retail-focused spot exchange be something that would ever be considered? We talk about these flash crashes and all these things that happen on the other exchanges. If it was in the framework of the CME and was offered by you guys, is that something that would be interesting? Um. It's not really something that that I would comment on, um, but <laughs> what I, you know, it's it's CME you know, as as we talked about has a long history of innovation, right? We are a futures um, and options exchange, and so where we can offer products that suit our clients' needs within that f- framework. And it's a framework that is tried and tested, right? We have these checks and balances in place. So where we can offer product within those guardrails, within you know, that, that environment, I think that is, that's definitely our go-to. 
Uh, it makes me think of the movie Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance, the one in a million talk. <laughs> but uh, so, and it, what's interesting is, you know, we talk about it's got to be a very challenging market because there's so many different exchanges. And as you said, there's these arbitrage opportunities and a difference in price across spot all across the world. And that still exists even with futures. Don't we also still also see different futures prices based across different exchanges? Right, yeah. So, I mean, the 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 spot the the there's um, KYC and AML frictions in in the spot market, and then you have the futures market that again is broken into regulated and and unregulated. And I think you know there there is competition, um, but there is plenty to go around. Uh, and I think what's if what's what's interesting is that the regulated and unregulated uh, futures offerings of are very different offerings, but they mean yeah. different things to different people, right? So, you know, to um, to Bitmex's credit, for example, they were the first to pioneer perpet the perpetual swap offering, and it was largely done in a way to avoid some of that regulatory scrutiny, to get to market, um, to allow access to crypto that maybe wasn't on a spot exchange. Where we're a he rev uh, heavily regulated US-based futures market there are certain things that we can and cannot do. So fundamentally, our offering is different, but that appeals to a different customer base. And one of the great things that we see are that there are certain businesses, certain crypto nascent firms, hedge funds, that can trade the CME product, they can trade the non-regulated futures, they can trade spot, and they can take advantage of all the ARB opportunities and that's, again, that's great for price discovery. It's great for risk transfer. So, you know, there's there's more than enough to go around in, in, in this space. The perpetual swap is such an interesting product and it's obviously sort of native to crypto, but a lot of people sort of see that as the reason that the market still has so much volatility is because obviously if you can get 100x leverage and someone can literally see what the open interest is and whether longs are paying shorts and in what amount, you can very easily long or short squeeze. So do you think that those are products that eventually probably need to either be regulated or that they just need to become a smaller part of the market for that sort of in insane roller coaster to end? Yeah, I think over the past four years or so, you know, we, we've seen that volatility reducing a little bit. So yeah. volatility is still certainly there in the market, but the ability to use futures to manage that risk um, you know, the, the ability to go short, the ability, you know, to, to risk transfer. So I think that volatility, where we were seeing huge swings overnight, it's still there, but I think that volatility has, has reduced a, a little. Um, and I think education around volatility and, and product um, characteristics, you know, between the regulated and unregulated space is, I think needs to continue. Um, and I think that's what is, what is really important to, to investors, having those resources to understand market moves and how that affects your portfolio. Moving on, do you guys see DeFi as something interesting to incorporate into your products or do you in any way see DeFi products as competition to what you're building? No, I think it's additive, you know, the, the entire industry uh, you know, from, from a DeFi perspective, you know, we're seeing more uh, the, the establishment of more companies 
that are doing lending, borrowing, you know, the, the emergent of um, SEC lending, prime brokerage services, all of that coming out of, of, of DeFi, um, I think is additive. You know, they, again, those companies have a need to risk manage, they're using futures in, in some instances. So I think it's additive where we have to, to kind of define um, our role is how we can be a part of that and how we can add solutions. So, you know, it, again, it's, it's something that, that we're continuously monitoring um, and seeing where we can add value. That, that makes perfect sense. So after this conversation, how can somebody who wants to trade on the CME gain access who do they call? How do they participate in this market? Yeah, so um, great question. You know, uh, a lot of detail is on our website. So cmegroup.com backslash uh, cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin or Ether. There's a contact us page there. Um, but the easiest way would be to go to their broker, um, see if their broker offers Bitcoin futures, you know, the micro um, as I mentioned, is a great way to, to, to gain um, access. It's a small size product, it's a 0.1 multiplier. So it's a really small, easy way to get into, um, into the futures product. So see if they offer that. Um, and yeah, if, if you want to get in touch, they can, they can definitely reach out through all of our contact us pages. And where can our listeners follow you after this? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on all the social medias. So yeah, they can, they can hit me up um, at PayLSL. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I think you clarified so much, uh, so many questions that people have about how the CME actually works, how futures contracts do. Even for me, and I've dug pretty deep into it, it gave me quite a bit of insight. So thank you for that. No, my pleasure. And yeah, really excited to see where this, this market goes. I think 2020 you and me is both. Be, yeah, 2020 is going to be, 2022 is going to be great.